You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how you doing tonight? <laughs> Considering how things are going for the Bears, I'm just fine, which means I'm better off than the state of the franchise in, in Chicago, but we'll talk about that. But uh, no, it's winter beer season. I've got an exciting winter beer, one of my favorites. And, you know, I get to talk to you, which is one of the highlights of my week, so I'm good. Oh, that's very kind. Well, let's. Why don't you start us off on the beers then? Uh, so I'm going back to a brewery that I have featured before, Ninkasi Brewing, out of Oregon. Love uh, it. Yep, and it's their winter ale, winter beer, seasonal release. One of my all-time favorites for winter beers, and it is called Slayer, and they spell that S-L-E-I-G-H apostrophe R. Um, and my. F- Second favorite part about that is it's written in the script uh, from the band Slayer. Um, So you might not be a Slayer fan musically, but you'd be a fan of this beer. They call it a uh, double chocolate, what do they call it? A double chocolate alt. Um, Basically, it's 7.2 by volume. Um, little might be a little high on the bitterness scale for you, but it's pretty well balanced, and he's got a nice sort of um, nice backbone to it. Malty, chocolatey, dark, very very dark. Um, I love it. It's great stuff. So it's a celebration every time each year when I see it in the store the first time. And I went shopping on Sunday, and I was like, oh, oh it's Slayer season. So yes, Slayer is the beer of choice tonight. Oh, I thought that you were getting that uh, in honor of Bradley Soul making his first. Uh, active roster appearance of the year uh, because I his can't famous even keep track. Well, his famous of... play last year was called Santa's Sleigh, so I thought you no, you, it's you got a Slayer beautiful tie. Okay, yeah, no, right. it's a beautiful tie-in, but no, Slayer's just one of my all-time favorite winter beers. And as far as Bradley Soul, I is there some kind of award like you know the NBA has the sixth man award? Is there like a fifty fourth man award for the for the NFL? Because if there is, I feel like the guy that has gone back and forth between the practice squad and the active roster the most in the NFL should win it, and he's got to be in the lead for that. There it, can't be anybody else. No, I've, I've never seen anything like it. But I think it's one of those guys that they feel like they can constantly cut because they're not worried about anybody picking them up on waivers. Uh, but such a weird situation with him, and I, I hope he gets a couple catches by the end of the year, sticking with it, and you know the transformation of his body in the off season and everything, keeping the dream alive, man. I think that's that's pretty cool. So uh, my beer is from Empyrean uh, Brewing Company, which is out of Lincoln, Nebraska, and Ooh. it is a sweet stout, and it is called Fallen Angel, which the Bears are essentially eliminated from the playoffs folks and this season was going to be you know this great thing and uh feels like uh <laughs> i don't know felt like an appropriate title so yeah not uh, so much yeah it, it didn't happen so uh let's get them open yeah that's always always the good part they call it a sessionable ale uh so it's not super high in in alcohol and uh only 19 ibus which is Great. Oh, that's right means, in your roundhouse. Uh, it means it's, it's going to basically be chocolate milk. So um, I'm all for it. Chocolate shake, whatever you want to say. So I'm all for that. So, all right. Well, as we get these going, uh, we'll we'll catch up to these beers at the end of the show. Uh, but let's get into what was yet another Chicago Bears loss uh, out in the L.A. Coliseum to the Rams. Tough one to watch. Um National television, they decided to not flex this game out of the spotlight for 
what I can only assume is the reason that you have two big market teams playing each other. Uh, so unfortunately, the entire nation was subjected to this game. Uh, basically, the Bears came out, had a couple of drives that stalled, and you had a Eddie Pinheiro missed field goal, a really interesting decision to go for it on fourth and somewhat long uh, that failed, and then another Eddie Pinheiro missed field goal. Uh, the Rams kicked a field goal and scored a touchdown in the first half, making it 10 to nothing at half. Bears did make it uh, get a little close with the Mitchell Trubisky touchdown pass to Tariq Cohen, made it 10 to seven. But uh, after a late, late touchdown, made it 17 seven. The Bears really never got very close. Um, one issue may have been the Mitchell Trubisky hip pointer, which is a bruise on your hip and was not allowing Trubisky to step into throws, and I think we did actually see a little bit of decrease in his abilities and potentially his willingness to run after that injury. And so uh, we don't want to bury the lead. We want to talk about it right off the top. Uh, Trubisky was removed for the final series of the game, and Chase Daniel came in and did what we, you and I, EJ, expect Chase Daniel to do, which is nothing. And uh, led to a lot of, oh my God, did Nagy just bench Trubisky? Is it has this happened? Why did he do this? A lot of fire came out after this. Uh, so I just want to start here. Uh, I think we both agree that when we went back and looked, it does look like there was an injury. It does seem odd that he would pull him for the last series, but that sort of led to that emotional talk on the sidelines that was captured by NBC's crew uh, between Nagy and Trubisky and and a lot of disappointed looks from Trubisky. And if you, I don't care if you're like the biggest, you know, anti-Trubisky guy, Trubisky hater, you know, watching his uh, face on the sidelines, you just have to feel for the guy. He's, he really is trying to do the best that he can do. It's not there for him. Um, but this was just kind of emotionally tugged at the heartstrings for me a little bit to see to see that happen. Um, but what were your thoughts on as it happened? And then now in kind of if you had a day or two to kind of go back and look, what are your thoughts on uh, the Trubisky stuff? As it happened, I thought, oh boy, if this is what, I think it is or what it looks like or what in bad optics it looks like, which is Nagy pulling Trubisky and saying, nope, you're done, you know, hand me the ball if you're going to use the baseball analogy, that it couldn't have come at a worse time. The fact that Daniel uh, did not look ready to play, came out, hit a very simple eight or nine yard out and then literally did nothing with any of his other snaps. It just looked awful all the way around. It looked awful for Trubisky. It looked really bad for Nagy. Looked a little bit tone deaf. Um, Daniel looked terrible. The Bears sort of just folded into a heap at that point. It just looked terrible on the broadcast. Um, Didn't have, uh, had a little bit of sound on the broadcast, but again, was watching at a bar, so wasn't hearing all the commentary, but I'm, I'm sure that the crew was saying similar things. Go back and look at the tape, especially the All-22. You can see him limping into some throws. You can see him not able to really drive off that right side. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a hip pointer. I've had a couple. Um, I didn't get them playing football. They're not great. They're they're goofy injury. They hurt like crazy when you sort of aggravate them, but there are times when you're walking around going, Oh, I'm fine. You know, there are certain motions that don't really engage them at all. And, you know, people came back and said, well, he had good throws after that. He was able to step into this throw. So he couldn't have been hurt. I'm like, eh, it's not exactly that kind of thing. And we definitely saw some evidence on the tape, or at least I did when I went back in the all 22 and saw him not able to drive the ball, um, looking a little stiff, pulling up, lame or gimpy at the end of some throws he's out there trying to tough through it um he gets pulled it's national tv he can't feel good about it he doesn't feel good about this season in general it it just wasn't great so at the time i thought oh god here we go because there's no way to step back from that if that's what it actually was if it was just a yanking um but you know pull for injury the timing was weird the optics were weird it definitely looks like he was injured and you know what if you leave him in and he gets hurt right aaron donald sacks him and you know 
God forbid he does something like break his hip like Tua did at Alabama this week. Then then what's Nagy get? So it's a no-win situation. It's not great. Um, it's just one more thing. And I think sort of the Bears' questionable footing just adds to all the fuel and fire. If this was you know, a team doing very well, if this was the Patriots or if this was, you know, the Ravens this season with Lamar Jackson and they said, hey, he got dinged and we pulled him, nobody would really question it. They'd say, hey, coach knows what he's doing. But because there's so much swirl around, is Nagy pulling the right levers and is he in control of the team? It just added to all the sort of swirl and fire and speculation. And that's just a sort of subset of where the Bears are as a franchise. Yeah, and you know it was kind of interesting. I went on uh, Robert's bear with me after the game, and so I uh, Robert made me stay up late to record that. Which you know, oh, I, he made you. Did well, he? you know my bedtime's early, <laughs> and so this was uh, you know I I started off podcast by telling everybody that I was tired, but I was also just tired of the team and all that you know, tired of losing and all that. But um, one of the things that I was kind of surprised with was Robert saying. That well, you know, Trubisky actually was playing pretty well, and then I saw on Twitter like, well, Trubisky wasn't the problem tonight, and uh, you know, he he was playing pretty good, and I and I'm like, oh, I didn't see that. I there were he wasn't mm-hmm. getting any help. Uh, his receivers, you know, hey, we gotta, I guess we gotta lead something, and so the receivers saw they were tied for first and drops in the NFL and said, we're going to take the lead in this category. Uh, and we're going to make sure of that by the end of the day. So yes, his oh, receivers weren't helping so him. sad. It's funny. I know, <laughs> but uh, honestly, you know, he was not playing that well. And uh, this graph that I tweeted out uh, after the game, I made a, you know, little joke about we'll always have Tampa Bay. And I think you picked up on the same uh, chart was from sharp NFL. And, you know, it showed just how many bad games Trubisky had had, and, and you know, including this Rams game where he, you know, had one of his uh, worst games just from one statistic, and you have to buy into the statistic uh, of, of what this is saying. But I think in general it tracks with what I was seeing, which was, you know, the throws weren't there. There was a lot of times where he was throwing what looked like either just a terrible throw or let's give him the benefit of the doubt he was choosing to throw a back shoulder uh, pass to a receiver or Tariq Cohen who had a step or two on their guy and needed to lead him. You know, he that passed down to Miller down down the field where Miller had to reach back for it and the defender uh, got a pass breakup. You know, that's an okay ball, but that needs to be a good ball. That needs to be put laid out in front of Miller so he doesn't he's not reaching back and that's six points, right? And I know that that's hard, you know, criticism for uh, quarterbacks if you're used to just watching college football or something but like this is the pros and so like those things really matter because everybody's really good everybody's literally a professional football player making professional football plays that you know rams defender recovered and made a nice play but it was not a nice play on a good ball it was a nice play on a, a ball that was delivered a little short and so i i don't agree with the idea that mitchell trubisky was playing particularly well he was just maybe playing a slight making a couple more plays than maybe we're used to but there were some egregiously bad plays and you know that third and one speed option where he pitched the ball four yards away from the defender I mean that's that's a high school mistake right and so I still I wasn't feeling like oh this is a Trubisky redemption game Uh, I was feeling like he's still playing bad and then he gets hurt and then he, that makes him even worse, you know, and then I I don't know. I'm just, I can't get over this low bar that we've set for Trubisky because I think we've now warped our mind of what uh, a decent quarterback play is. And you look at this same stat from last year, and he had more good games than bad games. And I think that that tracks with what we saw out of him last year was that there were a lot of games that he did well, and, and there were some games that he did enough to carry this team to victory uh, as opposed to this year where you've got the Washington game and that's pretty much it. Everything else was kind of a negative. 
Yeah, that graph is really stunning because the break between 2018 and 2019, and we can tweet this graph out after the podcast. Um, it was on both Jeff and I's feed, Twitter feed, that is. And it, you know, not any one statistic is perfect. We had Jonathan Wood on, and he he, you know, remind us reminded us of that that there's no one perfect statistic. If there was, it would be used in sort of every bit of analysis, but. It generally shows what we've seen, which is there's some highlights um, for Trubisky. He had a bad three games to start last year. He has an amazing game at Tampa. But in general, he continued to have positive or at least average performances, uh, and that's league average performances for the rest of the year. As soon as you hit the break into 2019, all of those performances are below league average with the exception of Washington. And if you want to count that, that's fine. But the rule in statistics is throw out the outliers, the highest and the lowest. If you want to keep the Washington game in there, that's fine. But you have to consider that they're one of the most, if not the most, dysfunctional franchise in sports. And you can keep it if you want to. But all the other games are below average. And I think that's tracking with what we're seeing. And when statistics line up with what you've seen with your eyes, they tend to have a little more weight. They tend to reflect what you've seen on the field so they back up or or reinforce that opinion. As far as Trubisky playing well against the Rams, um, well is relative. He played mm, not much better, but definitely better than he has most of the year. Um, he did stack it on a, another decent game. And again, the bar you're talking about of the perception of Bears fans is he played pretty well against the Lions. Played pretty well against the Rams for Mitchell Trubisky, right? Pretty well for him. Better than abjectly terrible or absolutely horrendous. So he strung some throws together. He hit some guys. He stretched the defense a little bit a few times. Did he underthrow some balls? Sure. All quarterbacks underthrow balls now and again. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is he played better than he has been. And it really did highlight that this is not a Trubisky failure. Of course, it's a Trubisky failure, but it is not only a Trubisky failure. Receivers are dropping balls. Up until the last couple of weeks, the offensive line has been mm, well below average, I would say. David Montgomery and Allen Robinson have been the two sort of offensive bright spots on this team. Allen Robinson's dropped more than a few balls the last couple of weeks, which really um, surprises me. It makes me wonder if he maybe didn't ding a thumb or something because he looks like a different player. He dropped nothing in the first four or five games of the year. Nothing. Not one ball. And in the last couple of weeks, he's dropped, I'd say, three, maybe four balls. And that's kind of stunning considering. But, you know, is Trubisky playing well? If you look at the league average, absolutely not. Is he playing better than he has been? Yeah, he really is. Is that good enough to win? No, not if the team doesn't help him out. And maybe the reason we're in this sort of low bar mindset is there's nowhere to go. Chase Daniel is not the option. Tyler Bray, most certainly not the option. The Bears didn't make a move at the deadline. There's no quarterback on the practice squad besides Tyler Bray. There's just nowhere to go. It's Mitch or bust, and this year it's just bust. So if he plays a little better than he's been playing, we say he's playing well. Um, not well to the league average, but well to his average again from this year. Fair point. I do want to point out, you mentioned David Montgomery being a bright spot, and it's hard to, <laughs> like, we are really trying to polish the silver here because David Montgomery's year has not been a good year. I mean, he's averaging three and a half yards a carry. It's, I mean, he's not, he, he's not. Yeah, without without an offensive I, line, I, I no get it, but I get it, but he's not, he's not making runs on his own. He's not creating um, he looks like a tough running back, and he's fought hard, and I like him, and I'm happy he's wearing navy and orange. Like all of those things are true, but like just and he can catch. Don't forget from he can catch. from from the standpoint <laughs> of just like evaluating a player. And a, believe me, plenty of rookie running backs have not come out and played their best football, and so there's plenty of room for the, for him to grow. But um, Nah, he's he's also been facing a ton of stacked yeah, boxes. Yeah, I agree. The, the defensive set to play the Bears right now is 
stop Montgomery, make Mitch throw, and you'll win. So that's what everybody's coming out until proved otherwise. And then really until the last couple of weeks, Mitch hasn't even shown a spark of doing that. So Montgomery's faced pretty solidly eight-man boxes all the way along. He's got a chance to eclipse 1,000 yards from scrimmage by the end of the year. Not 1,000 yards rushing, but 1,000 yards from scrimmage. on this offense, I'd say that's an achievement. I, uh, yeah, it, this is what I'm saying, though. I think we're polished in silver. Yeah. Like, I think we have it's, we absolutely it's grimy, are. and it's got, you know, a lot of black marks on it. We've got to polish it up for you guys. Like, I, I, I'm just saying, even the stuff that we're trying to highlight is not great. Like, that's that's kind of what this offense is right now, is we have to squint to see some things. So I have wide receiver drops and tip passes is my next note, but honestly we kind of talked about it and I, it depresses me and I don't want to talk about it anymore. So I want to go. How about, how about we talk about Javon Wims? Cause he had a couple of nice catches. Uh, you know, he missed one. He had a couple of tough catches in there. It was good to see him play. Uh, we saw him at training camp. He looked really good. He's done almost nothing all year. So a Javon Wims sighting, we can, you know, put a mild tepid thumbs up at that. Yes. I'm, very happy to see Javon Wims out there and I just a big bodied receiver and enjoy seeing him play. And so, sure. Yeah, I like that. Let's focus on that. Um, a, a positive note as I go to another negative note. Look, the defense, I'm, I'm not going to criticize the defense too much because uh, I think the defense has been really good. And I think you and I both agree. This We talked about it last week. You know, they're fourth in DVOA. And you just told me before we started recording that they're still fourth in scoring defense. This is a defense that gets no support from their offense. Like, this is old-school Bears defense, right, where we just, like, you got one good side of the ball and you got one terrible side of the ball. And so, like, kudos for them for still doing well. Um, But, like, one thing I noticed from this game is, like, Goff didn't get any pressure from this Bears front seven. Like, I I honestly think he – the Bears might have gotten one pressure. They got no sacks. Uh, but I, I wasn't even seeing pressure in Goff's face. Um, this, and this was a line that had three offensive linemen that were different than their starting offensive line in week one. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily upgrades or downgrades or whatever you want to say, but uh, this was a, a new offensive line for the Rams, and the Bears could not generate any pressure. Do you have any worries about this front seven, go- seven going forward? Uh, I do, and strangely enough, again, uh, file it under the 11 millionth thing that I didn't think I'd say about the Bears this year, but Eddie Goldman is either hurt or has kind of cooked whatever he had um, and doesn't have a lot left. He's providing a pretty solid force in the middle, but he had that occasional slip pass rush uh, in previous seasons, we're seeing none of that. And again, with the dynamic and sort of dominant Akeem Hicks out of the lineup, everybody's figured out what to do with Khalil Mack, which is double him at the least, triple him at the most, run away from him when you can, uh, and don't give him good, you know, five to seven step drops to tee off on. Now, Mack did have one rush where I thought he was going to generate that forced fumble. He missed it by that much. He had that nice arc, and Goff cocked his arm arm back, and I thought, here it comes. He's going to get it. He missed it by literally inches. Um, But other than that, you're right. There wasn't a ton of pressure, and I think we're seeing exactly what Akeem Hicks means to the Bears' defense, which is great because Akeem Hicks is still a Bear. Um, And if he comes back from the injury, then you know hopefully the Bears will return to form. But without him and with one dominant player – and offense can scheme on that. They can they can scheme to take away Mac, and no one else is making them pay. Um, you know, Williams, eh, Nick Williams has gotten some pressure. Um, Roy Robertson Harris has largely disappeared. Bilal Nichols has not made any kind of sophomore jump. If anything, he's had a sophomore slump. Nobody else is making them pay when they double or triple team Mac, so they're doing it at will. And the Bears' pass rush has been largely toothless since hicks went down with the injury and and that's not good so yeah i have some worries um and eddie goldman looks wildly overpaid right now for being uh, a guy that's plugging up against the run because those guys are typically pretty cheap 
Bears gave Goldman a nice extension, and now they're paying for it. He's generating them absolutely no pass rush, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, I think um, we've said it. I think talked with Robert about it a little bit too. I mean, Akeem Hicks. Like, I, I think Robert and I did a off-season show on uh, his Bear With Me where we did a an award show, and I think we somehow gave Hicks the Player of the Year, despite uh, Eddie Jackson and Clil Mack being the probable favorites for that, and we just sort of talked ourselves into Akeem Hicks, and that's looking pretty smart, honestly, uh, <laughs> because of just how much we've missed his presence on this defense, and I, yeah, I, when that when that injury happened, I my heart sunk, but I don't think I had any clue just how big of an impact that was going to have, and I, I I think that that's he's just he's really the heart and soul of this front seven, and Max the star, I get that, but you know Akeem Hicks is a top twenty, top twenty five defensive player in the league too, and losing a guy like that that really takes away the advantage that Mac has. Honestly, it's just math, and I I know we said there would be no math. I know you're a scientist and you like math, but if you've got a double Hicks, and for the most part you do because he'll maul just about anybody in the league one-on-one, at some point you're not going to be able to double both Hicks and Mac because if you do that, then we saw what happens. Guys like Roy Robertson-Harris look like stars because they're going one-on-one against a tight end uh, and a receiving tight end at that. You're going to get some mismatches because you're having to commit, as an offense, too many resources to stopping both Hicks and Mack. And I go back to the Richard Dent's rule of three for pass rushers. Well, if you've got a guy like Hicks and you've got a guy like Mack, it might be a rule of two because two guys are really commanding the attention of four guys. And that's where the math comes in. There just aren't enough other people to pick up everybody. And that's when you can blitz a safety out of the slot. That's when you can bring, you know, uh, Buster Scrine from the slot and have him blitz effectively. And all those guys were getting home and getting home free because if Hicks and Mac were truly dealt with, which means double team or more, the numbers were on the Bears' side. And now that Hicks is gone from that equation, they can focus the extra resources on Mac, and nobody else is stepping up to make him pay. So I think what you're saying is that Jonathan Wood and I should start a podcast called There Will Be Math. And I would listen we'll just talk about every statistics. week. Well, if you promise not to call it statistics, I would listen to Jay Wood and you every week because that would be terribly entertaining. <laughs> Uh, be a lot of nerdy talk that's for sure <laughs> all right well let's let's close the books on this rams game mm-hmm. I, you know it it, it uh I, I said something to the effect of this was sort of poetic and that the double doink from last year prevented us from going to the coliseum um and that ended our season last year and now we finally get to the coliseum and that ends our season this year so Football is a cruel mistress sometimes, and that's kind of where we're at. So we're going to go on to our next little segment that, um, I don't know, we need a name for this segment, but you kind of talked about that last week, trying to find a tweet yeah, worst bears of the week tweet that bothered week. us. Yeah. yeah, and I think I might have found it. And, like, uh, here's the thing. So I was going to, like, I was going to retweet it, and then I'm like, I don't want to, like, attract this negativity to my feed. And then, so, like, I, I took a picture of it, like a screenshot, and then I, like, took out the identities because I'm not necessarily trying to get those people drawn in. And then I sent it to you, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not – I'm just going to bring it on the show. I'm not going to put it on the Twitter feed. And so I'm not identifying these people because um, I don't want to get into something with these specific people. But I this was just – I'm just going through Twitter and just, like, trying to mind my own business. And these this is the type of stuff that I see, and I'm going to read it. This is somebody's Twitter account, and it's replying to something that I don't think necessarily needed to hear this, but here here it is. So this this person says, Bears are a disaster. The QB sucks. The coach has a smug, I know more than you attitude, uh, uses the wrong form of then, by the way, and refuses to adjust play calling to the strengths of the personnel. The play calling is a joke. The offense rarely puts up 300 yards. Some offensive genius. The genius brought in both of them. 
And then someone replies, it all comes down to the McCaskey family. They make Dan Snyder look like Bob Kraft. Okay, let me start. <laughs> um, first of all, the McCaskies, I think, get way too much crap. I understand that, that a lot of Bears fans don't think that they've had the success that they expect them to, but the McCaskey family, by all means, seems like a pretty classy organization. We met uh, George McCaskey along the line going into camp, um, and he was willing to take a picture with us. Very friendly guy. Um, you know, uh, his his mom is, you know, a matriarch of the league, you know, George House's daughter, uh, goes to all the games, uh, you know, omnipresent, and she's, like, in her late 90s. I mean, this is a... To me, this is a this is a family-run organization. They, I think, for the most part, at least somewhat recently, have let football decisions be made by football people. Um, I don't really have a problem with this family, but to say that they make Dan Snyder look like Bob Kraft, first of all, are we saying Bob Kraft is the just the owner of the team that's been doing really well, or all the Bob Kraft? Uh, crazy stories coming out about uh, massage parlors in Florida. Yeah, that was but the part I, I didn't assume, get. Was right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like I was he's like, not exactly a like. I was really surprised by the craft reference. I, I understand that people don't like the McCaskies. I I I'm completely familiar with Dan Snyder's quote unquote body of work, which at this point is a is a corpse. Um, I was really surprised by the craft reference. I was like, so what? kind of gold standard are you trying to put up there other than wins it was just an odd juxtaposition so weird and then to even suggest that the mccaskies are anything like or are on a level below dan snyder the owner of washington who might have the worst franchise in all of sports like just chill out people like that it, it made me so mad did i tell you about my favorite off-season tweet that was or sorry his preseason tweet and it was a it was a picture i think it was actually a facebook post that got retweeted on on twitter and it was a picture of a broken car window and it said oh yeah it said man you got to be careful out there. My buddy had a couple of Redskins tickets on his seats, and they broke the window and left four more. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, That's the kind yep. of organization that it is. I think uh, I heard on the Ringer NFL show uh, Kevin Clark say that you could get into the lower bowl of Washington Stadium for $19 this last week. Yeah, I I heard that there was a fire Dan Snyder chant that broke out, but there weren't enough fans to continue it. <laughs> <laughs> so the opposing team that bought up all the tickets, they I, I guess maybe, maybe they're maybe yeah. they're trying to help the franchise out, but um no, that's a that's a bad tweet for sure. Um a bad comparison. And the other one is all this fire Ryan Pace stuff because I just need people to go back. I realize it's been a really rough season on all of us. I realize that expectations have not been met. Um, if you want to go back to the mistakes were made, look, mistakes are being made. It's not over yet. It's not fun to watch or, or listen to or, or really talk about for that reason. But all this fire Ryan pay stuff is a bit much. And I, I want to go back to last year. Same GM, same coach, NFL coach of the year, 12 wins in the playoffs, everybody, and I mean everybody, arrow pointing through the roof. Ryan Pace is a genius. Matt Nagy's an amazing first-year coach. The Bears are on a roll. They're going to the Super Bowl. It was a really common take, not just inside of Chicago, but, you know. Yes, there were national media members that said the Bears are going to regress. Sure, it's a popular take. I get it. They won 12 games. Statistically, probably they should regress. We've talked about that in the offseason, right? But all this fire Ryan Pace stuff, A, Exhibit A, we've talked about it a hundred times. Look at the roster before Ryan Pace and after and tell me you want to fire that GM. And then Exhibit B, I'm just going to throw a name out there for all those people that are so uh, in a rush to hurry talent out of Hallis Hall. And this this goes all the way to the GM ranks. Ryan Grigson. 
Like, oh, yeah. there's a monster out in the woods, and its name's Ryan Grigson, and it can come to your franchise and thrash it into the ground at any time. Like, yeah, you could get a better GM, but your chances of doing that, given Ryan Pace's record, since he took over the Bears in a really dismal state, are abysmally low. Your chances of getting a guy like Ryan Grigson are so much better. And Grigson single-handedly destroyed the Colts for about a decade and completely ruined what quite possibly could have been a Hall of Fame quarterback with absolute negligence. Like, this is the stark possibility you're staring at. It is not a one-sided coin. You're not just going to get something Ryan Pace or better if you flip it. Yeah, it feels like a mob mentality in a lot of ways. And it, it feels like, I don't know if it's just the vocal minority or if it actually is the majority of people, but if you become the franchise that runs uh, talented coaches and talented GMs, maybe you disagree with that statement. That's fine. But I, I still think that they have shown enough for me to think that they're talented. But if you run them out of town, one, you're paying a lot of money on the end of those contracts. That's just not good business. But um, you're not going to attract the best talent to come in and take over because those new coaches or new GMs are going to see that landing spot as a, as a volatile franchise. Yeah. Think Think. back to when the bears could not attract either free agents. Free agents was the first step. And after the Hicks signing, they started to come on board or UDFAs. Remember back to the day when I would scream up and down, Oh, this guy's a great player. We should get him in UDFA. Quandre Diggs was one of those guys, right? There was no way for the bears to get that talent. Now, Within three or four hours of UDFA closing, the Bears have one of the best UDFA halls in the league. That is absolutely representative of the turnaround of the franchise, and that is absolutely tied to Ryan Pace. If you if you go down the road of running guys out of town, you become the Browns, and you become the Browns in a very negative way. I know they've got a little bit of stability now, but I'm not sure they're going to keep Freddie Kitchens, for God's sakes. I have no idea what's going to happen with that franchise. They're they're kind of imploding in on themselves, too. And so yeah. I, I, I just the, – the idea that, like, hey, we had a great year and we had high expectations and now it's falling down around us, so get them all out of town. It's like, you know, it's not how it works. Like, yeah. let's, let's take a step back. Let's let's be methodical about this. Let's review these things. And let me just say this. Even if you think that, the reality is I cannot see a scenario where the Bears cut ways with either Pace or Nagy at the end of this year. I just don't. They've got two and three years left on their deals, I think. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see it happening. And so just as a fan, for your own sanity, just turn that off because it's not going to happen this year. So just yeah. go into the offseason planning with those guys in mind. Yeah, Pace stays almost certainly in my mind. It would have to be uh, something completely unforeseen, probably something Pace did, uh, you know, like get arrested for a felony or something, which seems completely out of character. There's just nothing I can imagine that would get Ryan Pace out of town. Not that I want him out of town. Nagy... Um, you know, there's a bunch of games left, and if this team really goes south and he loses the handle, I could see them doing it. No. I don't think th- I don't think they should. Oh, come on, Jeff! Well, if, if they he lose loses every the, game, if he right, loses the if he loses every game, yeah, if he loses every game and players start popping off about how they're not being led well, and it devolves to a Tressman-like situation, I could see on the outside chance. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying I want it to happen. I'm not saying it's even likely to happen. But I could see from here where that would happen. I don't think it's going to, but it could. Ryan Pace is an ironclad lock. He will be the Bears GM next year and beyond. Matt Nagy, you know, there's a lot of questions about how you end up with a roster this talented, and yes, your quarterback went in the hole, and I get that, but 
Um, there's some other questions, too, about the offensive line, about the wide receivers. It's not just limited to the quarterback. And if the grumbling starts and the team falls apart and sort of openly rebels, you know, at that point, you got to get the guy out. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. That's not the, the direction I see it trending, but it could. I could see it from here. I'm going to disagree. And I'm going to say Fair it's enough. because the culture that he's built, that he built last year, it was cohesive unit, and I think that they're still playing for him, despite the mm-hmm. fact that the results are not there. It's not like this team has given up on him. It's not like the defense has given up 50 points. Obviously, this defense is way too talented to do that, but that that team did not respect Mark Trestman from the start, and that thing spun out of control based on his inability to lead and his inability to have any idea what was going on on defense. And so I just I cannot see the scenario. I think they just... They, they keep it in-house. They rally behind him. I don't see Nagy throwing people under the bus. I think he's a player's coach. And so I just I think that invoking Tressman is is not appropriate. That, that's yeah, I, I think. think that's the only scenario that could get him out of town. Again, I don't see that happening. I'm not portending that happening. Um, I don't believe it will happen. That's the only way I could see Matt Nagy not getting another year to coach. Um, and again, I don't think that's likely, um, but it, I don't think it's impossible either. All right, Noel, now that I'm fired up, we're going to take a quick <laughs> break. And on the other end of this break, we're going to talk about the Giants. All right, EJ, we're back. So the Bears have to play more games this year, despite uh, a lot of us uh acknowledging that this year is pretty much all but over but there are some things for us to kind of look at and as i look at this game i see the new york football giants coming to town and hey man we found a team that's more messed up than the bears Woohoo! <laughs> hard to do but uh there are a few of them out there and one of them is on the is on the schedule this week so um i guess that's good news for us i think you can argue that the lions game on thanksgiving uh, we'll play another team that's you know got its issues, particularly if Matt Stafford's still out. But this is definitely the game that the Bears have the best chance of recording a victory uh, through the rest of the year. The Giants come into this one at two and eight. They are led by a rookie quarterback named Daniel Jones. Uh, I think he's going by the name Danny Dimes, or maybe that's already out of style. I don't really care. I kind of like the nickname, so we're going to call him Danny Dimes around here. Uh, he's got 15 touchdowns to eight interceptions on, on his uh, rookie season, which uh, you know he's having to play from behind a lot, and the Giants have been throwing a lot, but he's got some mixed numbers in that way. Uh, he has, I think, something like 13 fumbles or something like that, too. So he does give the ball away quite a bit. Uh, Evan Ingram is banged up, and uh, we're not quite sure if he's going to play. I'm going to guess that he won't play. He's got a midfoot sprain, uh, but right now he's listed as questionable. I think he's probably their best target. Uh, he's a big tight end, kind of just a giant wide receiver that they call tight end. Uh, they've also got uh, Golden Tate, who's probably going to be their top target if Ingram's out. And then you've got, of course, Saquon Barkley, who um, I don't think he's had quite the sophomore sensational year that he did as a rookie. Uh, but he's certainly very good running back and a threat every time he touches the ball. So that's kind of the rundown of the Giants uh, as a football team. And I got a couple of keys, but before, or not even keys, just kind of a couple observations and uh, thoughts. But anything about the Giants, big picture, before we get into that? They're certainly not the old threshing machine in terms of a well-oiled unit that the Bears are going to have to face on either side of the ball. And that's a good thing if you're a Bears fan. Not so great if you're a fan of the G-Men. Um, good old Danny Dimes has... Uh, shown flashes for sure but he's also struggled like you said saquon hasn't exactly lit it up uh in the same way that he did offensive line has continued to be an issue for them which hopefully the bears can find a way to take advantage of but i think really um they're gonna need to come out and play run defense the way they have for the past two weeks now they've put up solid defenses um defensive efforts against the run really shut that down and if they lock down saquon barkley and force 
um, good old Daniel Jones to throw the ball, it looks like he's going to give them some chances to get their hands on it. If they do, that could really turn the game. And I would love to say it's because I believe giving the Bears offense more possessions is a good thing. But at this point, it's really just about taking offensive possessions away from the Giants. I'm not really sure the Bears can do anything um, if they get the ball back. But taking them away from the Giants is probably going to be enough. We saw Kyle Fuller with a near uh, interception last week. It was in his hands. Couldn't hold it as he fell to the ground. Um, ha ha Clinton Dix feels like he might be due to get his hands on a, on a deep throw, pick one off. If they do that, and quite frankly, we haven't talked about it, but if Pinheiro hits his kicks, it's a very different game. If you put even slight pressure on an offense like the Giants offense, that's not going to score a ton of points. They have to play from behind and take more chances. And the Bears defense playing with a lead looks very, very different than the Bears defense playing from behind yeah i you know i looked into the some of the stats before we started this and and it you know to me i look at both offenses coming into this game and they're both really bad and they're both pretty much ranked in similar places uh in most statistics as you can find of course my favorite is dvoa i talk about it a lot but it's just a statistical uh, you know, compilation of a, a lot of different things to try to uh, even things out across the playing field so that you get a, a stat that uh, can kind of take into account like strength of schedule and, you know, the different teams that you played and uh, try to boil it down into a number. So it's not perfect, but uh, what I think is interesting is the Bears were are 26th and the Giants are 27th or something like that. So so they're both like, they're both <laughs> really bad on offense. And then on defense, the Giants are really terrible on defense and the bears are really good right so I, I see this one as there is one functional unit on between these two teams and that's the bears defense so so when i when i think about this game it's when you know look with the bears are on uh defense danny dimes is going to give the ball away you're going to give you an opportunity to take the ball away he's a rookie he's done it all year where he's given the ball away so can this defense take the ball away, and when they do, can they score? Or can they put themselves in such a good position that when they hand it over the offense, the offense doesn't have to do anything uh, uh, with the ball, but they'll still be in field goal range. I know that's sad, but that's old, like, Erlacher defense football. And I think this is one of those games where, if nothing else, that's got to be the defense's mentality is we've got to take the ball away. And when we do, we got to put it in the end zone. Yeah. It, one of the things about Eddie Jackson being closer to the line this year than he was last year, is he's not getting as many chances on passes to pick him off. He played to great effect against the Rams. He had a lot of tackles. He looked fired up. He had a couple of blitzes, tackles for losses, Definitely showed up in a bigger way than he has, but he's not getting those game-changing plays, and it's it's a little bit of a bummer. I understand it in the balance between him and Hawk Clinton Dix. Look, Hawk Clinton Dix is a better pass defender. Jackson a bit more versatile, so you can play him closer to the line, but that means he's not getting those um, interceptions with momentum and then being able to use those running and ball skills that he showed both at Alabama and in Chicago to, to run those back into the end zone. So... Not terribly hopeful that'll happen, but I'm with you that the defense has to get it as close as they can. Kyle Fuller can run with the ball in his hands. He returned kicks when he was at Virginia Tech. Let's get it down inside the the 40 for sure. So we're looking at kind of an automatic field goal attempt. Uh, if not, uh, you know, closer and hoping that the offense remembers that the I formation is legal and they can just pound it in from you know maybe eight yards out that would be ideal and it would certainly turn the game heavily in the bears favor yeah and if you think about the other side of the ball uh the giants like i said they're not good on defense and yeah they've been doing a little better against the run but their pass defense is really bad unfortunately we've had this exact matchup before and the bears just simply have not been able to take advantage with their passing game and so uh, maybe the Giants' run defense isn't very good, and you can still try to run the ball. I mean, they're they're league average, right? These other matchups that we've had, where you have a bad secondary, the run defense has been on the good side of things. And so, um, 
you know, I'm thinking specifically of the Eagles game where we we just simply were not able to take advantage of those uh, Eagles corners that everybody else seemed to find joy in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, to me, this is the key is that uh, let's assume that Trubisky's going to be back out there. I'm not sure that's a great assumption, but, uh, you know, that, that injury might give them an excuse to play, uh, Daniel, or it might it might be real to to the point where they say no, it's just it's not a good idea for him to do that because he just can't physically step into throws. But let's assume it's Trubisky. Now, can he take advantage of a truly bad pass defense like the one that they played in Washington? Right. So that if if you're looking for hope, there it is, right there. That's it's a similarly bad secondary to the one that Trubisky lit up in Washington uh, is what the Giants have. Yeah, and he did show life in the Washington game. It was certainly by far his best-rated game of the year. Um, the NFC East has offered up a few a few chances, a few more chances, I think, than we maybe thought looking at the schedule going in. But if that's the way, that's going to be the way it sort of has to happen. The defense can't do everything. I, I think I tweeted out on Sunday night's game that – Look, if your defense in the modern NFL holds the opposing offense to 10 points, you should be staring at a W probably 90% of the time. 10 points is not a lot to ask either your defense, your special teams, or your offense to combine for. If you can get over that total and your defense holds them to 10, you should win. Unfortunately, with the state of the 2019 Bears, they're holding them to 10 points, and we're, everybody's looking around going, well, well, well who's going to score the points? We're still going to lose. So they're going to need one of the three units to step up and score some points. Maybe it's another kick return. Uh, maybe one of the receivers gets free against that secondary that is is not great. Maybe we see the first Allen Robinson long touchdown of the year. Wouldn't that be something? Who knows, maybe David Montgomery breaks another long run and it manages to get to the end zone. Or, like we talked about, Eddie Jackson or Kyle Fuller grabs a ball and and there's nobody in front of him and there's a bunch of green and they take it back and that's seven points. Somebody's going to have to score some points here because the defense, I think, will do just fine against the Giants' offense, but they're still going to have to manufacture points somehow. Uh, And thats I know it sounds stupid, but that's the only way they're going to win it. Yeah, you know, the more we talk, the more I'm thinking it might be four to zero. But okay, um, <laughs> I have one question for you, and I'll, I'll answer it first. Give you a little time to think. But the, basically, we're at the point of the year where it's okay to not necessarily focus just on outcome, um, and maybe we can focus on some things that are just very specific to the game, right? And so for me, what I want to focus in on this week is I want to see these wide receivers rebound in a real way, right? It's a bad secondary. We just talked about I, I hope that the Bears come in with a game plan to take advantage of that, and I want to see these these wide receivers come in focused. I don't want to see any more drops, and I want to see them make plays. You know, this is a talented group. I will defend Taylor Gabriel as a talented wide receiver. I think Allen Robinson has, for most of the year, played like a pro bowler. Um, I, I really think that these guys are extremely talented, and I they had a bad game. Uh, no other way to put it. And so I want to see them bounce back from this and start making some real plays and take a positive step into 2020. I would love to see that. I'd love to see Javon Wims get another catch. Um Quite frankly, at this point, I would love to see Riley Ridley elevated to the 53 and see what he can do against a bad secondary. He's got to be chomping at the bit. Um, Wide receiver out of Georgia that the Bears drafted, brother Calvin Ridley. Um, You know, let's see if these guys can get their hand on the ball. They're very talented. There's a reason the Bears drafted them. Um, Same thing with Jesper Horstead and Ben Broniker, right? Can we get Jesper Horstead onto the 53, play Ben Broniker more often? He got open a couple times, didn't necessarily get hit, had a couple of catches against the Rams, I think. I openly wondered on Twitter, why hasn't this guy been playing at least in dual tight end sets all year? He seems to offer the Bears much more at the position that they've been getting. So shut down Burton, shut down Shaheen, um, you know, find a, find a way to say he has turf toe or something, get him, get him off the 53. 
get these younger guys on because at this point you're not going to the playoffs. See if you can get some development for who knows, maybe Jesper Horstead is Evan Ingram light. Now I'm not saying that's the case. I don't think that's necessarily true. There's obviously a great difference in their draft pedigree and their college. You know, one went to Princeton, one went to Old Miss. But let's see if these guys can play. Same thing with Duke Shelley. Let's get him up to the 53. Get him to the, he's on the 53. Let's get him on the active list. Um, get him out there. Get him some live speed game reps and see if we can't build towards 2020 and get these guys both some mistakes out of the way when it doesn't matter so much and some good positive plays to build momentum into next year. I think Ole Miss is the Princeton of Oxford, Mississippi, right? Uh, if you squint really hard, you might be able to say that. Just like we squint really hard at the Bears' offense every week, but um, that's a stretch. Maybe even bigger than some of the stretches we've made on this very particular podcast. I'm just saying, within Oxford, Mississippi, it's the Princeton. Anyway, all right. Sure. Um, let's get some picks again. We we don't want to be called out for being cowards. And so uh, I got that wrong last week by saying that the Bears would cover the spread. Uh, So that was rough. Uh, I think the Bears are six-point favorites or something like that, which seems kind of ridiculous to favor the Bears by that much, uh, given their struggles. But that just shows you how many struggles the Giants have had. I think the Bears win this one by 10. And I don't think it has anything other to do than the Giants are just a train wreck. And the Bears have one functional <laughs> unit. And you might not need two functional units to beat the Giants right now. You might only need one. And so I, I think the Bears win. And I think it just one of those games that never really looks close, but never really looks like you feel good about it. Uh, but I, I think 10 points feels right to me. What do, we, what do you got? Okay, I'm going to leave the points to you. And I'm going to make two other predictions, one on offense, one on defense. One is Allen Robinson rebounds, no drops. For him this week other pick on defense the bears record an interception if i have to pick somebody i'm going with haha i alluded to it earlier i think he's due he's gonna be roman back there maybe they get to danny dimes maybe he just made bad decision bad read miscommunication and clinton Dix is back there and picks it off so i'm going with a haha pick and no drops for alan robinson okay fair enough uh let's uh let's close this out let's talk about these beers so again i'm drinking empyrean brewing company's fallen angel it is a seasonal beer and i'm pretty sure this has been in my fridge for a while uh but it still tastes good and so this is the i think the final one of a six pack i i was saving it for a podcast i figured the name was just so much fun that i would come up with some way to use it and i did not think it would be to uh pay a eulogy to the Bears season, but that here we are, uh, and uh, the beer itself is just it's it's tasty. It's one I look forward to. I again, it's one of those seasonal things, so you, you got to make sure you catch it. Uh, I usually grab one six pack when I can find it, and uh, I think it comes out early in the year. So don't drink it six months after the due date, like me. Uh, but um, <laughs> but again, it's still fine. But. Uh, <laughs> It's uh, it's better when you drink it right away. That's that's what I'll say. You know, I think that's a, a good PSA for uh, most beer. It's better when you drink it right away. Fresh beer is better for sure. Again, I had an Inkasi Brewing Company's Slayer Seasonal Release Winter Ale, um, 7.2 alcohol by volume. It says 60 IBUs, but it certainly doesn't come off um, tasting like that. There isn't a serious bite to it. Um, definitely has a good sort of balance, a little bit smoky, a little bit malty, a little bit chocolatey, but I wouldn't call it sweet. Uh, Certainly doesn't go that far to that end of the spectrum, but it's very dark, very smooth, easily drinkable. One of my absolute favorite winter beers. Again, I always look for it when it comes out. Um, It sort of signals the beginning of like, oh, we're almost to Thanksgiving holiday seasons here. Um, very happy to have found it and happy to have had it on the pod. Um, but should we just close this thing out and get on to the next one? 
All right. So absolutely follow all the great podcasts on Windy City Gridirons podcast channel. We mentioned uh, Robert Schmidt's Bear With Me. Uh, of course, we've got Bill Zimmerman on there as well. And, you know, you can, of course, find Bears Over Beers. Send us beer recommendations. We love them. Uh, some listeners have been tweeting this week about bears they were drinking while listening to the podcast, which is fantastic. We love that kind of feedback. Um, it's the best of both worlds for us. You can find Jeff on Twitter at Gridironborn, myself on Twitter at the Draftsman FB, as in football. Um, find all the rest of our work on Windy City Gridiron. And for now, hope that the Bears can take advantage of a wounded NFC East and down the Giants. Until then, find your favorite tasty beverage uh, bundle up because it's nice and cold outside and bear down. <laughs>